and welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Lou. I'm joined uh, for a second day in a row by Joe Wolfond. What up? And Joe Scasharo returns to the podcast. It's finals time, baby. Let's it's go. finals time. We're doing an extra podcast this week, um, you know, to react to the Western Conference Finals and also to preview the fourth iteration of the Warriors playing the Cavaliers. We'll talk about things like, is everyone bored with this series uh, and how LeBron could possibly finesse his way to a fourth title despite uh, a limited supporting cast but before we go there let's start with uh, what happened last night the houston rockets had a double digit lead heading into halftime things were looking good the warriors looked out of sorts and then third quarter warriors showed up um you know they sort of smacked up the rockets the rockets went ice cold from deep and the warriors ended up winning the game cash we'll start with you what were your reactions to Game 7? Did it go as you thought it would? And, you know, just what did you think? Uh, man, I thought it was very similar to Game 6 in that the Rockets looked great to start and the Warriors kind of looked discombobulated and, and you know, almost in a way looked like they were tired of each other. And then halftime comes and they're down double digits and you're thinking like, oh my God, this might actually happen. The most talented team ever might actually go down. Mm-hmm. And then like... I don't think anything happens at halftime. I just think they start to click and they start to move off the ball and they start to move the ball and they start to play up right. to their capabilities and then it's like game over. They just completely flip the switch. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, they're the ones up double digits like five minutes later and Steph's raining threes. And honestly, it's like got to be the most deflating thing oh. for opposing teams. I, I know there's like different things that superstars do that can deflate you, but I just remain um, convinced that the most deflating thing has to be one of those like patented Warriors runs where Steph is just like what, like running up and splashing on you from everywhere, right? And that lead is just growing and growing. And if you're the opposing team, that deficit is just growing. And right. You see the hole getting deeper and deeper, and and you just can't do anything about it. Um, so yeah, I, I just thought it was very similar to Game Six in that the Warriors just flip this halftime switch, and the game goes from like, oh my God, this could happen, to wow, this is over so quickly, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with the Warriors is they're basically always just one run away. And for this whole season, pretty much, I think they've spent so much of their time trying to gauge how much effort and energy they have to put in to win. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in Game 6 and 7, that's kind of what we saw in that first half. They were, I don't know about Game 6, because I feel like there was a little bit more desperation there after they got down 17 in the first quarter. But definitely last night it felt to me like they were kind of just trying to size the rockets up um and and just kind of discern how much energy they were going to have to put in in the second half and look the the rockets shot seven of 44 from three and that was always going to be the downside risk of their high variance approach does not mean that approach was wrong it carried them to where they were which was in a game seven against a team far more talented than they were one game away from the finals. Um, but that's what happened. I mean, that that strategy is designed to produce results over a, a, lo- a large sample size. Mm-hmm. And in a small sample size of a game seven, s- stuff like that can happen where you just shoot seven to 44 and miss 27 straight threes at the worst yeah. possible time. Um, at the same time, the Warriors do have this thing where it's like you can kind of see a light go on and they start to look like a completely different team in the way that they're moving and the confidence that they're playing with. And 
as far as what Cash is talking about and how deflating that can be for the other team, the feeling I get watching it is like, oh, yeah, it's, it's like it's not really up to you, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, and if you was, lose, it's on the Warriors' terms, and if you win, it's definitely on the Warriors' terms. Yeah, and I thought the Rockets did pretty much everything right in mm-hmm. this series. You know, they, they, they had very few false steps. Right. They did not get away from who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, they stuck with their switching defense. Right. They stuck with their sort of Mori Ball offense. Um, even in this game where people were kind of killing them for shooting as many threes as they did, despite how poorly they were shooting them, they still, I think, doubled up on the Warriors in terms of points in the paint. So they're still getting the sort of highest efficiency looks right. offensively. Um, and they're not abandoning their principles at all. Mm-hmm. So I think they deserve a ton of credit um, going toe-to-toe with this team. And frankly, I don't know what to say about the Warriors at this point. I'm not going to say that they deserve scorn. Right, right. I just think it's kind of a bummer that you never really got the sense that they felt they needed to elevate their game to the historic levels that they should be capable of. I mean, I think they, they did do that in the second half. Um, like, I think a lot of it was in the first half, Kevin Durant wasn't as engaged, and the the Rockets as a whole were way more um, energetic in the first half. And I think Steve Kerr played a specific strategy of trying to get the um the rockets to sort of tire themselves out early and there was a point in the game where there were, the rockets had as many offensive rebounds as the warriors had defensive rebounds and it was just like man i can't believe kevin Durant's not boxing anyone out i can't believe the warriors can't even like make a simple inbound pass i mean when the warriors struggle it seems it's very it's very um common in terms of what they do it's just like they they throw sloppy turnovers. They don't box out. Then then take some bad shots, and all of a sudden, you know, they're in trouble heading into halftime. And even Steve Kerr, like he was so pissed. He was so pissed. Like Steve Kerr is usually very nice to the media, but he was incredibly pissed um, after the first quarter and during his, um, you know, coach's interview. Um, he said he that was one of the worst quarters he's ever seen uh, at halftime. After the game, he said at halftime, I wanted to resign. Like it was it was that rough because it was just it must be really frustrating because. Well, like you said, like the Warriors really only expend as much effort as they sort of see fit, and they really need to feel threatened. Even in the Game 7, they still need to have that sort of like Russian roulette kind of thrill to be like, all right, fine, I'll finally challenge this team. But I also think the Warriors played it smart, too, because like the Rockets did exhaust themselves. Obviously, no Chris Paul. And you can see it in the second half. The 27 missed, you know, three-point shots. That's a good three-point shooting team. To miss that many shots, a lot of that came down to just tired legs. This is Game 7. The rotations have been really short. Mike D'Antoni keeps a strict 7, maybe 8-man rotation in the regular season, and it was down to 6 or 7 in the playoffs. And they just kind of ran out of gas. And we've seen James Harden run out of gas in many of these games. Um, Harden, uh, Trevor Ariza, and Eric Gordon combined to miss 33-pointers on their own. And... You know, on the other end, like, I think they were mentally exhausted, too, because the Warriors were like, all right, so you gave us your best punch and you're up 11 at halftime. Okay, so we're going to give you our best punch in the third quarter, which the Warriors have, you know, throughout the playoffs have just been incredible in the third quarter. And then it's extra deflating when you're missing all these open shots like the like the Rockets are missing 27 in a row, where the Warriors are just like, all right, we'll just have this crazy Steph 3 over here, and KD's going to hit this, like, 30-foot over here. And then, oh, you lost Klay Thompson. Boom, there's another 3 right there. And it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, what are, what are you even doing? Like, Nick Young was hitting threes. And, and at that point, like, you just have to be utterly demoralized with that as the Rockets. Yeah, like, the Warriors have assembled um, this collection of top-tier talent where – 
the margin for error if you're playing against them is essentially none. And even then, it, you could you could play almost a perfect game and still lose it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other end, their margin for error is enormous. And they can dig themselves a 17-point hole after the first quarter down 3-2 in a series. And it's right. just like, man, we're going to just outscore them by 45 the rest of the way and still win this mm-hmm. game by 20, which is what happened in game six. Right. You know, it's just like the... The difference in margin for error on either side is incredible, and it's basically going to be like that, no matter who they play. Yeah, I mean that's what that's the effect of what, you know, why they got Kevin Durant right. Like before, it was like, all right, the Warriors are definitely one of the best teams in the league, if not the best team in the league. They had won the championship in 2015, and they won 73 games. And it's like, all right, come on, this is already a great team. But then when you add Kevin Durant to all of that, then it's just an extra layer of just like. No one's really going to touch us. We really have to screw up um, and have uh, so many things go wrong for, you know, the Warriors to actually drop a game. But I think the sort of the mindset we're speaking to is that, like, the Warriors don't look as engaged and as fluid and um, as motivated as previous seasons. Not even last season. Last season, they were gangbusters throughout the playoffs. I mean, like, yeah, the Zaza thing um, really did color the, the Spurs series. But, like, they had swept through the entire Western Conference and then they only lost one to the Cavaliers, and we'll talk about the you know the the finals for uh, Pete uh, in, in a second. But like the Warriors have slowly adopted sort of this Cavaliers mindset of we're gonna flip the switch. We don't really feel the need to try as hard, and we're gonna conserve our energy. And it sort of sapped some of the like the spontaneity and the fun from what the Warriors have sort of come up. As and uh, Wolfon, I, I don't know if, if, if that's what you're feeling when you're watching these games, but they remind me a lot of the Cavaliers. Um, I guess to an extent, um, I, I think they're way more talented than the Cavs ever were. Sure. So we were talking, we were talking on the last pod, right, about how whether there was going to be an asterisk, basically, if they won this game and Chris Paul didn't play. Right. And I feel like there wouldn't have been if they had just come out and dominated that game from Jump Street mm-hmm. and ran the Rockets off the floor, which right. you could argue they should have or could have. Um, but I think now, like, there will be because they, like, if, if you take for granted that they play the exact same game, had Chris Paul been healthy 100%, mm-hmm. I feel like you can make a pretty strong argument that the Rockets would have won that game. Sure. Like, they put that asterisk there themselves. And I don't know if, if that bothers them. I don't know if they care about all this kind of big picture legacy talk. But I feel like in some ways, they, they are hampering it a little bit with the way that they are approaching these games. And maybe that doesn't matter to them. Maybe all they're focused on is winning a title, which is totally fine. Sure. But I feel like if if they actually care about how people talk about them, which it seems at least some of them do. Like Kevin Durant, I feel like definitely Oh, does. Kevin Durant cares. Uh, guys, come on. He said he doesn't care about the thing. <laughs> he said he doesn't care. He but... doesn't care about blog boys, all right? <laughs> yeah, but look, like... I feel like he cares. I feel like he really cares. Oh, he cares. And his legacy is really important to him. His place in the league and his place in league history is really important to him. He's talked about wanting to take the torch from LeBron. Mm-hmm. And this, I mean, this is how they come out, right? In a game where they had a chance to kind of like step on the Rockets' neck and be like, oh yeah, we're the best team by far. Uh, they didn't really do it. And it took it like a ass kicking in the first half to really get them into gear in game seven, in on game the road, seven, yeah. Like, <laughs> after the exact same thing that happened in game six, totally. yeah, so and so that's what I mean. So now people are going to consider that like an asterisk game, a hundred percent, because. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying if Chris Paul was there, things wouldn't have been totally different, because probably the Rockets feel or the Warriors feel more of a sense of urgency, and they play a different game, and 
in my opinion, they probably still win because I don't think the situation plays itself out the same way that it did. Mm-hmm. But that's just the point, right? Like, they they approach everything um, very specifically geared to, like, the context at hand, I think. Right. And I think knowing that Chris Paul wasn't there probably contributed a lot to their lackluster effort in the first half. Yeah, I think I think that's kind of been the Warriors all year this year. And I think it's been a little jarring, to be honest, because it's not what we've become accustomed to, to this era, like, to the Steve Kerr era of mm-hmm. the Warriors. You know, when he, when Steve Kerr took over from Mark Jackson and the Warriors went from like a solid playoff team to 67 win championship juggernaut, right? I think there was a sense um, from a lot of fans, like basically non Warriors fans and observers, that this team like wasn't necessarily as good as the record, but like right. they played above their heads that year. I think a lot of people, I was sure. still thinking that was maybe the case going into what became a 73 win year the next mm-hmm. year. Yeah, they, they had they had something to prove. Right. And then they come back and they win 73, but then they lose in the finals. Right. Then they come out and get Kevin Durant. And then last year had one of the most dominant playoff runs I've ever seen in my life that yeah. we'll ever see. So they had these like three straight years of just kind of like either getting better or just being complete ruthless juggernaut. And then this year they come out and yeah, they're, they're back in the finals and they're probably going to win the title. Mm-hmm. But like they just left something to be desired, it felt, all year. Because like you guys have both mentioned, you just didn't. You never got the sense that we really saw what this team was capable of in year two of KD being there, in year four of the Steve Kerr era. Like, right. And I think that's what's so different about them is they don't leave you with that same feeling of like, wow, what a joy to watch this is. Mm-hmm. They still leave because you with they, the feeling of inevit- inevitability, but right. it's not that same joyous feeling. But that's what I mean, though. Like, that's why they remind me of the Cavaliers because, like, um, that's sort of on their own terms, right? Like, they don't look necessarily happy to be out there. That first half, Draymond Green was screaming at Kevin Durant multiple times. Klay Thompson was screaming at guys. Like, Klay Thompson was giving the halftime speeches. Like, Steve Kerr saying, like, man, I want to resign. Like, I, I, mean, I mean, I think Kerr is being a little bit dramatic there. But, I mean, you know, that sort of speaks to the general mood around the team because the other way to look at it is, like, the expectations are so high for the Warriors. And, you know, they put that there themselves. Um that unless they're just like destroying teams and they're 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 shimmying in your faces and they're hitting you know crazy threes all the time which is pretty much what they did in the second half unless they're doing that everyone is like wow i'm so upset that you know you didn't give us your best performance but then when they do get the best performance everyone's always upset it's like wow no one could beat the warriors so it's like everyone sort of run themselves into a weird place with golden state but i mean in terms of just the you know, in, in terms of execution game game seven, I think they they came out with a good strategy for the most part, right? They did exhaust uh, the Rockets, and you know, once they solved that little one five pick and roll there with Harden and uh, and Capella, which was hurting them a lot in the first half. Once they neutralized Capella in the second half and hit a couple of threes, like you know, the Rockets kind of folded, uh, and um, you know, you could say it was it was a valiant fight, and they definitely took them to seven games and everything like that. And Chris Paul, who knows if he was healthy, but you know, in the end, we got the result um, we all expected. So let's move on to the fourth chapter of Warriors versus the Cavaliers. First off, Cash, do you think this series will be competitive? No. Um, <laughs> I think, look, I'd, I'd love to see it be competitive. Uh-huh. I'd love, you know, for us to see just this, like, next epic chapter in LeBron's book where he... Um, single-handedly takes over and beats an all-time team again. Like, it'd be a great story. And I guess if there is one thing we've learned with LeBron is to never doubt him, but I just don't think they have the horses, man. Like, I, I don't think they're good enough to How dare you diss a supporting cast? <laughs> I, they just cannot 
I don't think they can hang with the Warriors in the seven-game series. And I think the Cavs win a home game because uh-huh. of the kind of complacency of the Warriors that we've already talked about and because of LeBron's greatness. I think they can get one. Um, but that's about it. Like I, Even if they somehow went six, I feel like it would mm-hmm. be a deceptive six. Like I don't think it would actually a be a comp- six. Exactly. Be, you know, know, like the, a gentleman um, six. So I'd say that I think the Cavs win one, and okay. I think maybe one of the Warriors wins is competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, which is similar to what happened last year, right? Yeah, yeah. Game, game, game three in Cleveland was really competitive. Um, but I think in the end, it's probably a five-gamer. I kind of feel like this series will be as competitive as the Warriors let it be. You know, <laughs> like, Exactly, right? <laughs> like, the Warriors being listless is probably their, the Cavaliers' best shot. Yeah. Like, if they play the same sleepy way they did against Houston. Um, yeah, so that's why it's just tough to say, because this Warriors team has been hard to read mm-hmm. um, and they haven't had that ruthless kind of killer instinct that they've had in the past where they really come out and just try to straight up embarrass you and they haven't swept anyone they did not sweep that really mediocre Spurs team in the first round they didn't sweep the Pelicans and they went to seven with the Rockets so I definitely see the Cavs getting at least a game um, I wouldn't be shocked if it went six but like I was saying before, I feel like for the most part, it's in Golden State's hands. Like, mm-hmm. there, there is a lot that rests in LeBron James's hands as well, but uh, he is just going to have to do so much more heavy lifting in order to squeeze out wins in this series than the four All-NBA players on the other side of the floor. So um, I'm, I would probably pick five games. Um, right. And on the whole, I don't expect it to be particularly competitive, but... Again, I, I like. I just wouldn't be shocked if the Warriors couldn't quite get their act together because I haven't really seen it all season. Yeah, they haven't consistently so, done it. They yeah. always have shown us flashes, but we already we always knew that they had that gear. They just weren't hitting it consistently. Um, the Warriors, not, nevertheless, opened as a twelve-point favorite in Game One, um, and were um, one to ten odds to win the series, which is percentage-wise, is like ninety-one percent chance of winning the series. Um, but if you're Cleveland, if you're Tyron Lue slash LeBron, you know, and you're you're thinking about how you can make this into a competitive series, um, what points of weaknesses would you try to attack in the Warriors and sort of which players need to execute um, to make that possible? Um, I think they'll probably sort of go back to that approach with getting um – Probably like Steph in this case, I would think switched on to LeBron as much as they can. Uh, the same way they tra- they attacked Terry Rozier in the Celtics series. Um, I, I like that's the weakest link defensively. I think that they can pick at um, Steph. I thought actually in the second half of the conference finals did a pretty good job staying with Harden when they got that switch. But LeBron obviously is a different beast, and um, they would probably have to start bringing some form of help in that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that that's probably the best way to initiate the Cavs offense, right? It's just like running things through LeBron in the post, posted up on on an overmatched defender. Um, and if they can make things uncomfortable on Steph, maybe get him into some foul trouble. Right. Um, or force the Warriors to bring help and then rotate. Um, you start to open things up and maybe you like... Yeah. are able to get a lot of open three-point looks, and that's going to be the Cavs' best course of action, I think, in this series, is to give themselves a chance to hit some open threes. Um, that's my feeling, anyway. Like, I, I think 
there, there are very few weak spots on the Warriors' defense. Not having Andre Iguodala is probably going to be a big deal for them if he can't come back and play. Um, so I don't know who like who's going to be the primary defender. Maybe it'll be Durant. Um, but I think they're going to hunt those mismatches as much as they possibly can. Yeah, I think their only hope of staying competitive is hunting those mismatches, hoping you can take advantage of a Rozier-like situation. But like Joe mentioned, I don't think the Warriors necessarily have like the type of defensive liabilities that you can pick apart if you're LeBron. If Iguodala's not completely healthy, then I think it does get interesting. Right. And it seems like he's not. He's, he's getting not. a second opinion. And we have stuff. talked about how their depth is lacking this year. Yeah. Um, they're br- they're going to bring Nick Young off the bench at right. some point. Right. And then um, Pat McCaw. So, yeah, look, if, if Iggy's not completely healthy and if LeBron can hunt mismatches in the pick and roll and then find shooters from there and the shoot, like, there is a path to a competitive series. The Cavs probably will want to slow things down as they did, you know, it was grimy, but if you remember the 2015 finals. Yeah, um, that was definitely when grimy. Love and Kyrie were both out and the Cavs basically tried to grind that series to a halt. Um, and use up a full 24-second shot clock almost every damn time, mm-hmm. and everything went through LeBron. And, you know, to their credit, they almost pulled it off. So yeah. Well, they had Delhi back there. <laughs> yeah. Well, another thing I, I think they should do, and that speaks to them trying to muddy things up and slow it down, is try and make the Warriors play big as much as possible. Right. And I feel like this could be a really big series for Tristan Thompson. Like That's he's, why he got that contract. And he's played like, well against the Warriors. Like, he's got to yeah. be able to hurt them on the boards. Um, he's got to be able to hang at least a little bit on switches. And that, that was something Capella did uh, in that Rocket series, and he was a huge part of why the Rockets were competitive, was he hurt them on the glass, and he managed pretty okay when mm-hmm. he got switched on to Steph. Um, so, I don't know, that, that, that's, I think, where the Cavs can kind of hurt them and maybe force the Warriors to adjust rather than the other way around. Um, and not having Kevin Love is going to hurt them at the offensive end, but it might actually help them. Like, it probably will help them defensively, right? And maybe mm-hmm. maybe that's actually a little bit of a blessing in disguise. I guess the question, too, is, like, what Love's status will be, right? Because right. on one hand, you could say, well, if it was... Um, maybe if he gets over it quickly, it's, the game's not until Thursday. Maybe at worst, he'll be back for game two. And then on the other hand, it's like, man, concussions can linger, and they're obviously scary. So, like, right. well, we and don't he, even know if he's available at all. He had a concussion in March. Right? That's right, yeah. And he had a concussion in 2016 as well. So, like, there's a history there. Then the, the more concussions you have, like, you know, it takes longer and longer to come back from them. And it makes you more and more apprehensive in terms of how willing you are to just be like, all right, you know what? I'm just going to defy the doctors and go out there. Like, it's it's not easy to overcome these things. And um, I, I think it, there's actually – it's weird because, like, Kevin Love is definitely a better player than Andre Godala, But given – how this series might play out. Um, I'm curious to get your take in terms of just which player do you think actually is a bigger loss for either team, Iguodala for the Warriors or Love for the Cavaliers? I'm going to say Iggy. Um, and I don't know, I guess it's a weird way to describe it. But basically what I'd say is coming into the series, I think we're all pretty much in agreement that the Cavs don't have much of a chance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as much as losing their second best player brings them further away, the diff- like to me, the Iguodala injury would actually make this a more competitive series. Yeah, for sure. Where the difference in whether Love's healthy or not, to me, is like, well, if, if they're both full strength and then you take Love away, it's just like, okay, it'll just be an even bigger blowout. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you go from full strength to taking Iggy out, it's like, okay, well, now the Cavs maybe not have a full chance, but like they can find things now that might work better right. for them. And You could and so, put Clay Thompson in foul trouble. Right. You put Steph in foul right. trouble. Like you mentioned, you might have situations where Nick Young is on LeBron James. Right. For real. Like the, yeah. These are legitimate questions the Warriors would have to address if 
Iguodala's out. Um, and, and yeah, so I think Iggy being out actually might make this more of a series, whereas the love thing to me, not to disparage the kind of player love is, we all know how great he is. I don't, I don't know if it's as huge in this series. Well, he's faded a lot in previous games against Golden State. I mean, obviously he had the famous, you know, stop against Steph Curry in 2016, but that really does over sort of just paper over the fact that Love has generally not been that effective um, in the series. I mean, that's not true. He's been effective. Obviously, he's a, he's a good player, but he's just not a great – it's not a great matchup for Love. Um, but it would be one thing, though, if they had better replacements that than, you know, Larry Nance and Jeff Green. But I don't well, know. If they get the Jeff Green that they got wow. in Game 7 against Boston, uh, they might have a fighting chance. And honestly, the thing about Kevin Love is he – makes the Cavs offense way way better but the Cavs are not going to win this series by getting into a shootout with the right. Warriors because like it the won't Warriors be like, just have way more firepower yeah it won't be like last year when the Cavaliers really decided we're going to outgun you we're going to shoot a ton of threes we're going to make a ton of threes the one game they won they hit 24 threes to win that game in game four um and they wanted to play up tempo with Kyrie and LeBron, and you know they couldn't really work. But you're saying they want to go back to the 2015 style. I think that's probably their best their best tactic. Mm-hmm. Like if if the Rockets series taught us anything, the Rockets even basically the best offense we've ever seen. They didn't really win by getting into a scoring match with the Warriors, right? They won with their defense. Mm-hmm. Um, they honestly like I think they had like a 103 offensive rating in the series, which is like well well below their regular season standard but right. they were still right there in a game seven basically going down to the wire because they defended incredibly well so if the Cavs are putting their de- their best defensive personnel on the floor I mean the kind of the way that they won game seven against Boston uh, I thought Jeff Green held his own pretty adequately and not having Kevin Love out there I just think makes them a lot more switchable which is probably the best way to get the Warriors out of their offense right so I, I would agree with Cash and say that Iggy is the bigger loss because mm-hmm. that really hampers what the Warriors are able to do at the defensive end. And because of their lack of depth, I just feel like that hurts them more. Not that the Cavs are super deep, but again, like defensively, I think they're better off without love. And that's the way that they might have a chance to win this series. So, Yeah. Um, obviously, the main person in this series is still going to be um, LeBron. Um and, you know, like, LeBron has had arguably his best playoff run, and there's been so many great accomplishments by LeBron. We talked about them on yesterday's podcast, but um, LeBron has just been, like, phenomenal throughout these playoffs. But, you know, like, how much does LeBron have left in the tank? And I'm not talking about generally. I'm just talking about in this series because there's not going to be much rest for him. Um, he's going to have an extra day of rest as compared to um, the Warriors, but nevertheless, it's not a ton of rest. He only really got to get a breather after uh, sweeping the Raptors. Um, but, you know, he had to play 46 minutes in Game 6 to eliminate the Celtics. And uh, then he played all 48 in Game 7 on the road. Uh, and he was phenomenal. But, you know, can he do that same thing against the Warriors? Because I think, you know, in in the Celtics series, yes, the Celtics did a good job of attacking LeBron, especially early in the series. Later on, it wasn't as much. But LeBron could still chill. Like, ultimately, if you don't contest a Marcus Smart 3 or you don't box out Aaron Baines. It's not that big of a deal. But, like, the Warriors have another level to get to in terms of how they could attack LeBron defensively. And if LeBron's asked to be the best defender for the Cavaliers and the, it, the basically the whole source of the offense, then you're going to get into trouble. And so, I, I don't know. How much how much gas do you think LeBron Look, has? I think LeBron, I think 
there's something left in the tank for this moment because that's who LeBron James is. Okay. I think the difference is, and you just mentioned it, like the Warriors aren't the Celtics. So he might have enough left in the tank to do what he does, and he probably does because he's LeBron friggin' James. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even if LeBron does, if, if playoff LeBron shows up defensively, which even that, to be honest, wasn't always there in the Boston series. Like, there was no. a lot of moments in that series where, like... Marcus Morris was driving by. Right, it wasn't... So, you know, you talk about that f- flip uh, that LeBron switches on in the playoffs mm-hmm. defensively. Like, it hasn't necessarily been there consistently this run. Right. But offensively, we know what he'll do. The thing is, is that, like, he can do all those things and he can single-handedly try to prop up the Cavs' defense and he can run the offense. And it's not going to be enough because they don't have... The mm-hmm. weapons necessary to hang with this Warriors team. So, like, as much as I respect the question you're asking, it's a valid one because the guy's logged an mm-hmm. insane amount of minutes and, you know, the stress on his body is also insane. Like, I just don't think that necessarily matters. Right. I think he'll be fine. I I, I think I, I, he's not going to turn into some otherworldly defender in this series, I don't think. No. Um, I mean, even last year, he... Like he'll he still, didn't really guard KD that much, and no. KD also averaged thirty-five. Yeah, I, I just think like for as extraordinary as this kind of late career run has been for him, uh, and his longevity, um, and what he's still managed to do at the offensive end, his defense has kind of been steadily slipping for a while, and I feel like he can still reach those same heights. He's just been doing it with less and less frequency, mm-hmm. and we'll probably still see him make some like really extraordinary defensive plays and have some incredible moments at that end of the floor in this series. I just think it's going to be few and far between. And like Cash said, I think those uh, those moments where he sort of lags at that end are going to come back to bite him more than they have throughout the Eastern Conference playoffs. Yeah. I could just see, like, the Warriors, like, whoever LeBron is on, like, I don't know, maybe surprising LeBron in transition with a little sc- uh, screen, and then all of a sudden LeBron's stuck on Clay, and then, like, they run Clay through all these motion sets, and you – you know, if you're defending Clay, you have to chase him. You have to trail him, and you got to go through these screens. And you know, we've seen Steve Kerr like try to use this attrition strategy to beat the um, the Rockets, which, by the way, is very disrespectful. Going back to that game seven, that uh, <laughs> not only were the were the Rockets clearly down and out, and they couldn't respond, um, and the Warriors were you know pretty much running away with the game from the fourth quarter onward. That like Steve Kerr with like six minutes left in the game, he's like, mm, I'll just intentionally hack Clint Capella for no reason. <laughs> Just, just to like put on your demise a little bit more. It's actually it's just a brilliant troll job. I liked her. It. it was it, honestly it was pretty funny. Like Capella really was not having. He, I, the thing was like when they intentionally fouled Capella in the first half, it was like, well, Capella, the the words already in the foul, you know, bonus, and uh, you know the the Rockets were killing them. Later in the game, it was like Capella wasn't even doing anything. Why are you doing this to him? There have been like uh, I can't remember if it was that Sloan or someone. I feel like I've read someone did a study on the fact that it actually makes more sense to intentionally foul bad free throw shooters when you're up to protect the lead okay, yeah. than it does when you're so like I mean maybe it was just his kind of way of slapping some insurance on the game 7 win I also feel like maybe it was his way of just taking some measure of control over that game right like true. after this whole season That's where he's felt out of control and has talked about not being able to get through to his team after like giving away his clipboard in that Suns game he <laughs> literally right. let David West and Iguodala and Draymond coach the game that was insane yeah so all season, and, he, and he's talking about wanting to retire at halftime. It's like, man, I am here. I am the coach of this team, and I'm going to make this fundamentally, st- like fundamentally sound tactical decision. Uh, you know, this is the right thing to do. I don't care if people like it or not. I'm the mm-hmm. coach, and we're going to hack Capella. 
Yeah, he's like, I, I look, I'm, I'm suffering from back pain nonstop, all right? And then you guys aren't even going to listen to me. All right, Mike Brown's right here. He's undefeated in the playoffs as a coach. Luke Walton was undefeated. Like, stop stop making me do this. But, um, yeah, the Warriors are in a weird place, man. Man, it's kind of, you know, like we're just talking about that. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think this team did not win 60 games. I like, know. I'm they won 50. I mean, injuries happen. Yes. But. It, I guess you can look at it the other way and say, they. I think they won 58. Or yeah, like, yeah, you can look at it as like, wow, how many teams can survive the injuries and win fifty eight? And yeah, I get that, but still, like, you look at the talent on that roster that they didn't win sixty games is pretty nuts. Yeah, the Raptors won more games yeah. than the Warriors in the regular season. Um, but I mean, also like, if I think this playoff run has really shown that the difference between like previous Warriors teams and this one, because previous teams like they had a bench that they could rely on a little bit, like. It wasn't like these players are necessarily great, but like Izzy could come in and give you something. Uh, Most Space can come in and give you something. Leandro Barbosa come in and give you something. In addition to the fact that they had Livingston and Iguodala, now they just have a whole bunch of centers who can't play. Um, David West, after having a really strong regular season, looks kind of old and slow. And I mean, that's kind of what he was, really. But he just really hasn't been able to play in the playoffs. And um, yeah, it's been it's been tough. And then they have all these like the shortages on the wing. Like they're basically relying relying on seven guys, and most nights they can't even find a fifth guy to join their core four. And so, like I don't know, this is a good opportunity to take on the Warriors. It just kind of sucks that the Cavaliers are also just in shambles. I mean, like they they traded Kyrie for nothing of immediate value. They're relying on Jordan Clarkson. I mean. Let me, like let, let's go there. Like Wolfon, like who who has to who has to like step up and be the number two guy for the Cavaliers in this series? Because you know, yeah, Kyrie left some big shoes to fill, and I wonder if Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> Jordan uh, Clarkson probably thinks that he's that guy. Uh, yeah. Are we gonna go the conspiracy route and say Scott Foster or something? Oh my god! Oh man! Um, Scott Foster loves the Warriors. I don't understand. Like, the, the conspiracy theorists want it so many different ways, though, know, right? Like, one day it's rigged for the Warriors, the next day it's rigged for the Cavs. I don't really know what to believe. But now they're going to rig it for seven games. You don't understand. It's more revenue that way. Man, I would be totally down for them to rig it for seven games. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> be let's awesome do it. fun. Let's do it. Um, I, I think it's probably got to be Tristan, to be honest, because of mm. he's one of the few guys who I think might actually pose a matchup problem. Sure. Um, and we've talked many times about how the Warriors are half centers. Like half that team of centers, and mathematically <laughs> correct, and none of, and none of them are particularly good, um, and that's like a, the one big flaw in their roster construction. So um, Tristan is a guy who can change the shape of the series a little bit, um, maybe force the Warriors to go away from their Hamptons five lineup. We saw Durant get picked apart on the boards in the first half of Game 7. I mean, he kind of also just chose to get picked apart. Like, there's no reason why Eric Gordon should go around you and get the rebound. Okay, but Clint Capella, like, really did a number on them. That's and there true. wasn't a whole lot they could do about it, right? That's like, true. Uh, and there were a couple games in the series where Draymond was incredible on the defensive glass. Like, had he some was. amazing box outs and some Herculean defensive rebounds. But I don't feel like he can do that every night over the course of a, of a best of seven series. So, um, I think... Tristan's an animal on the offensive glass, and he can yeah, really—he's incredible. He can pose a lot of problems for them, and if the Cavs want to muddy it up, like mm-hmm. he's a guy who can actually make that happen. And if he's on, that's a bit of a game changer. Uh, so I think it has to be him. Like it is I, funny though, because like it's disappointing that, that he's the number two guy, and the number two guy on the other side is Kevin Durant. But <laughs> that's where we're at. Yeah, no, that's that's honestly where we're at with the series. Um, some of the subplots, there's a lot of subplots. Uh, Nick Young versus 
uh, J.R. Smith. What? How is that a subplot? It's a battle of the clowns. <laughs> battle know, of the right? jesters. Yeah, it's just with a Spider-Man meme out there. Alright, fair enough. Maybe let's just, just to increase uh, competitiveness, we should have like... J.R. Smith is so minutes. much better than he Nick is. Young, yeah. though, and I feel like putting them in the same... Although, most of this year... <laughs> I don't know, man. J.R. Smith was trash this year. He was, he was. But I, I still His think highlight he was, was throwing soup at, at whichever assistant coach it was. Damon Jones. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I can't believe that happened. These teams are both just yeah. like... That's what I mean. They're these, both a bit of a drag. No, these, like these teams are an old couple, man. They're like they're they're tired of arguing with each other. Yeah. They're like you know they both accuse each other of the same flaws, and they really do have the same flaws. It's just well, also one team is like in, infinitely better than the other yeah, team. Right. It's crazy. Someone settled for the so yeah. No, but well, it's like seriously, like look at the the four years. Like the first year, it was so exciting because the Warriors were this fresh. Mm-hmm. kind of some of their parts team that went like won 67 games with right. the juggernaut but like oh are they for real and LeBron was back in the finals his first mm-hmm. year back in Cleveland and then the next year it's like okay well now the Cavs are healthy yeah. and the Warriors are the 73 win like trying to be the best team ever and then last year it was like KD's first year there and the Warriors revenge and both teams had coasted through their conference playoffs like it was like this meeting of juggernauts yeah. but then it's like this year what is the story just, yeah. like, like you guys have both been saying it basically just these like two um, the Cavs more so, but these two kind of flawed, talented teams that you feel should be better than they are, especially in the Warriors' case, and they don't really seem to like each other. Like I don't know, man. It just that's it. you laid out the story right there. Yes. I think you just talked me into this finals. <laughs> yeah, who, which team likes teams. each other less? That's right. These two teams who have kind of slogged through these last yeah. these last couple seasons, right? Well, not couple seasons, but they slogged through this season because both of them. Had been to the finals three mm-hmm. years in a row. Yeah. Um, probably, you know, there's like a little bit of fatigue in both of those locker rooms. Um, and a bit of a feeling like expectations are maybe like weighing down on them because it, it's a lose-lose for both, right? Like for the Warriors especially, they can't really win because if they win the title, it's what they were supposed to do and what they were expected to do. And if they lose, it's a an epic catastrophe and a total disappointment and um, you know a, a real failure to live up to their potential. So I don't know. I, I imagine it's very hard psychologically to psych yourself up to um, really attack an 82 game season the way you might have when you had something to prove. So I kind of understand why it's been such a slog for both of these teams. Mm-hmm. Now they're here, and it's like they just all they have to do is win four games. You know, right. so. To what extent can they kind of get their act together and play their best basketball and be the best versions of themselves? I feel like that to me is a vaguely compelling storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, you know how, like like you said, how much does LeBron have left in the tank? Right. What can he actually do um, mm-hmm. as basically a one man show against this incredible assembly of talent? Right. Can and... Jeff Green play KD to an even? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, you know how much is his supporting cast going to step up, and how much do the Warriors care? about making a statement you know they really just care about winning the finals and taking basically the path of least resistance or do they just want to absolutely go right through cleveland and Mm -hmm. and kind of end the season on on a sunnier note than it's taken so far right i mean i think what we're getting around to is the idea that like after seeing three of these there is some voter there's some uh viewer fatigue um catching up to the NBA Finals, and on one hand, the f- ratings have been phenomenal. Um, you know, like the league is thrilled to have its biggest stars 
like in LeBron, in KD, in Steph, um, playing on the league's biggest stage. Um, you know, the the ratings speak for themselves. Like they had eleven point three to eleven point five million uh, in each of the last three. But this year, it just feels a little bit different because, like, the the whole storyline of the season is LeBron is in spite is succeeding in spite of the Cavs. Whereas the storyline for the the Warriors has been, well, if they care, they'll win, right? <laughs> and like, and like, the, you know, that's just not a really compelling. Well, with sales the Warriors, job. it's been like they've been succeeding in spite of themselves, right? Like, that's what I mean. They're basically the 2016 Cavaliers now, <laughs> like, without the infighting and the. Although there's a little, there might be a little bit of infighting with KD isolating so much, but even KD seems very like willing to just be like, you know what, you're you're right. I, I like he said today, like he was like, nah, I'm pressing a little bit too much in games four and five, and we're gonna iso a little bit less. And honestly, they're just too cohesive. They're gonna solve this, and the Warriors are the Warriors. But like, are are you getting a little bit of uh, viewer fatigue in terms of watching so many iterations of this in the, of this uh, finals matchup? Uh, I mean, I guess ask me again after this series is over. <laughs> okay. But for now, if we're just talking about the last three years, I guess, and preparing to watch it for a fourth time, it's kind of hard for me to say without knowing how like another series would have looked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thinking about like the potential matchups that could have happened instead over the last three years. So it's like if you go back to 2015, it could have been Hawks and Warriors are like... <laughs> Hawks and Grizzlies or Hawks and Rockets, you know what I mean? Like, would we have been super jazzed to watch that finals? Like, Hawks Rockets would have been, been Raptors. Would have been hot next trash, year. actually. Yeah, yeah. So many of these matchups would have been hot trash. Well, I, was, I mean, this year's matchups might have been a bit trash too. Uh, I mean, I feel like Rockets Celtics could have been pretty fun. Rockets Cavs might have been pretty fun. Warriors like, Celtics. I think the Warriors would have won, but I think the Celtics would have found a way to like muck it up a little bit. Like, I don't know. It's it's really hard to say. Like the, those, any of those other matchups could have been total duds, and we might have been super disappointed by them. So, I I can't really quibble with the fact that for another year we get to watch LeBron basically try and climb this seemingly insurmountable mountain and um, drag his team to a series win over over an all time great team. Um, I mean, I don't know. Like, what what else are you looking for? I guess in a finals matchup, aside from the best player of his generation trying to take down the best team of our generation, I, I think um, I understand the feeling of fatigue. But I think at the end of the day, the three best players in the league are playing in this series, and that's a pretty good thing. I mean, do you? I mean, the argument might be that, like, look, I would like to at least not know what the result is going to be, and I think ninety five percent of people are probably picking the Warriors. But would that be and different the other five if they played? Just would that be different if they played any other team in the finals? I think the only team in the league that the, the result would be somewhat in question if they played the Warriors was the fully healthy Rockets. Honestly, right? And, and we got that. Yeah, yeah, for five games. Yeah, Chris Paul got hurt. <laughs> oh, Damn. Poor oh. Chris Paul, man. Although I, I, I gotta say, Chris Paul really did get vindicated because Chris Paul. The last memory we have of Chris Paul is this like valiant effort where he's hitting these crazy step back jumpers and he's shimming in Steph's face and he's leading the Rockets to victory and then he gets hurt and now nobody can blame Chris Paul. You you can blame you can blame Mike D'Antoni for coming up shy again. You can blame James Harden no, for man. for Listen, running out of gas. You cannot blame Chris I'm Paul gonna anymore. Ask, you brought up D'Antoni. Like, what have Chris Paul and Mike D'Antoni done to the basketball gods? Because yeah. you get. Chris Paul, like one of the best point guards I of all know. time, known as the point guard, and this guy has had some devastating in like in series injuries during the playoffs. And this one, 
obviously at the very top. Like the Rockets were up three two with two mm-hmm. chances to put away this all time team, and it would have been like this legacy defining moment. Right. And the guy gets sidelined by a hamstring injury, and it's not the first time he's been sidelined during the playoffs. And then no, for Mike it D'Antoni, literally happened last Mike D'Antoni, year. Um, is like a like literal revolutionary in the game of basketball right. who played a huge part in changing the way basketball is played and making it a more entertaining game, full right. stop. And this guy's two best chances at winning a championship or at least getting to the finals were derailed by a skirmish that led to suspensions. When a a they, terrible suspension. Right. Uh, and then just... like a decade later by a random hamstring injury. Like, mm-hmm. just, what have these guys done to deserve this, man? Like, they both deserve so much better. Yeah. I also disagree that Chris Paul is going to be vindicated. People are still going to find ways to hold this against okay. him somehow. I'm but sure that's, of it. But that's only because Chris Paul wants to win so badly, and he shows it, and it's just like, it's just funny to see him not get it. You know what I mean? And that's the only reason people dislike, well, that and the fact that Chris Paul makes some, like, dirty plays and stuff. But, I mean, like, it's like a, it's like a competition thing, you know? Like, I guess. He's six I foot mean, tall. Like, he's got to do something out there. Yeah, no, I think people dislike him because he, he seems like an authoritarian figure out there. He barks at his teammates. He takes the game extremely seriously. Yeah, he takes it, like, 100% more serious than anyone else on the court. Yeah, so, I mean... Except P.J. Tucker, actually. Now that he's with P.J., it's a really angry group. And then there's <laughs> James Harden just completely listless at all times. Um, but, it, I mean... To be fair, like, it proved to be a, a pretty incredible partnership, right? Like, those did, guys yeah, bring yeah. fire out in each other. And I think mm-hmm. PJ is almost like a good antidote. And it's not like fire and ice. It's like fire and more fire. But yeah, sure. um, unlike, unlike Chris Paul teammates in the past, like his Clippers teammates, who never right. really responded to, no. to his tendencies particularly well, um, I feel like PJ Tucker is a guy who, like, really feeds off of that. Right, right. And as opposed to taking that in a negative way, they manage mm-hmm. to just fire each other up to the point yeah. where, like, you know, th- their their energy and effort and competitive drive alone almost willed the Rockets to a series win. Right. Chris Paul goes down at, like, the literal zenith, like the highest point of his career, yeah. having an incredible finish to that game five to put the Rockets up 3-2 one game from the finals over one of the greatest teams of all time. Like, and, and, then, and then he goes down. Like, it's extremely cruel. How great was that moment, too, in game five? I don't know if you guys saw it, but I think they showed it on the broadcast where, like, it was – during like just a really tense moment of the game, and Harden looked not disinterested, but he looked like James Harden. You know, he's got that very like cool, calm demeanor. Mm-hmm. And they showed it on the broadcast, and James, uh, Chris Paul is kind of like like tapping his shoulder, and he's like practically doing the running man, like in yeah, front yeah. of James Harden, as if to tell him like, "Come on, man, like get mm-hmm. up for the this is a crazy moment." Right. That's what Chris Paul always wanted to do to Blake Griffin. Yeah. But Blake Griffin was like, I, first off, this is my team. Yeah. All right. Second of all, like, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm the best player on this team, and. You know, he wasn't, but Chris Paul was the best player in that, in that team. But it was also just a case of, like, the rest of that team really didn't respond. Like, DeAndre Jordan was more like, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm Blake's best friend. I don't know about you. Who are you? <laughs> Whereas now there's actually P.J. Tucker to be like, hey, listen, Chris Paul's right. James Harden, you got to actually care. Which was really shocking, though, in Game 7. Like, one of the first possessions, the, the Rockets, like, had a terrible inbound. And, like, nobody was around. Like, and... Like, Steph picked it off between three Rockets players and then walked to the three-point line, and James Harden didn't even try to contest. Like, at least give a fake hustle player anything. But that's James Harden, though. And I think that that does kind of... Like, you never see James Harden go all out. You just never see it happen, right? He's casually brilliant, but when the games aren't that casual, he's not as brilliant because he doesn't have... At least he hasn't shown that next level of, like aggression of like i need to win this game if he had a little bit more chris paul in his game 
I think that's phenomenal. an aesthetic thing, though. Yeah. Like, I, okay. I just think that's how his game looks. What about, like, it's a what about bit our defense, iconic. though? Why does he play defense? Because defense uh, is a lot of effort. I, I, I didn't think he was that bad defensively in that series. Um, yeah, okay. Like, uh, as far as just, like, what his physical limitations are, he's not a, a particularly explosive athlete. Like, he True. can get up. Um, he's got, you know, this incredible quick handle. And he has fantastic footwork. Like, he can really beat guys basically just with incredible, like, deception mm-hmm. and strength. Right. Um, that's kind of how he's able to get to the basket, how he's able to get the free throw line as much as he does, and how he's able to create separation for those step-back threes that everybody loves. So I think it's just the way that his game looks. And, and sure. when he's dancing with the ball and taking ridiculous step-back threes and trying to foul bait, it kind of looks like he's not giving 100% effort mm-hmm. um, because we're more conditioned to effort looking like a guy putting his head down and barreling toward the rim or right. and then diving for loose it. balls yeah, or yeah. just like moving at hyper speed. And that's just not really Harden's game. That's not what makes him who he is. That's not what makes him successful. So, But I mean, I, I do think that is a missing element of his game. Like, you know, I think if you look at LeBron as like the, the, the sum of what like a perfect about, basketball okay, player Harden would be. had... An- I just right? want to say, Harden had an incredible block on Draymond Green at the rim that in is like true. the final three minutes of that game last night. That is true. And you could argue that the game was kind of out of reach at that point. I think they were down by den- by 10 points. but He definitely owned Draymond Green throughout the series. Yeah. <laughs> he dunked on him twice. He yeah. blocked him. Like, so, Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think Harden actually played well Like overall. It's just, I don't know. There's always that feeling of like, what if James Harden cared, a, or not cared, but just like gave a little bit more... Of a, a show on effort. effort. If he had a little more Chris Paul in him. Yeah, a little bit more Westbrook in his game, you know? <laughs> like, it's just... No, no, no. That's too far. That's too far. Um, anyway, I think we can end this podcast on this quote by uh, Warriors owner Joe Lacob, who said after Game 7, quote, sort of tired of Cleveland. And, uh, yeah. Get excited for the finals, baby. They're, they're sort of tired of each other. That's yeah, really yeah. the sales I, job. You know what? I'm feeling fired up. Yeah, like, look, it's out of the four chapters. This is definitely, I think, I get it's definitely the least excited I've been for this matchup. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, give me LeBron oh, against yeah, yeah, these sure. Warriors any day of the week. Yeah. Um, just wish it wasn't Cleveland. Yeah. Well, don't worry. This is gonna be the last time Cleveland's gonna be in the finals for a long time. <laughs> yeah, it may be. I mean, LeBron's dipping. He's gone. You think so? What do you mean? He 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 plays with Jordan Clarkson like five minutes a game in the playoffs. Like. I know it just it seems like obviously the most rational course is for him to go elsewhere. I just can't figure out where that next stop is gonna be. Anywhere but Cleveland. That's that's gonna be the uh, Rich Paul sell when um, the summertime comes. But yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah, NBA Finals, baby. Get get excited. Uh, do you guys want to do a quick prediction here, right, right here? Warriors in five. Five? Yeah, I'll say Warriors in six. Uh, the Gentleman Six. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's, that's a great one. I'm going to go with the Gentleman Six, too. Just because the Warriors are going to screw around. They're such a gentleman is why. Yeah, they're, they're, look, they're just going to screw around. They're going to want to celebrate in the Bay instead of celebrating in, in Cleveland. Like, what are you going to do? Like, when they won in Cleveland, they went to, like, a steakhouse. Like, Oh, Mort- I think it's Morton's. Yeah, it's not exciting. It's called Morton's. No, but if they legendary Cleveland, if they win in six, they'll, they'll win on Cleveland's floor, no? Oh, yeah, that's right. They have home court. It's oh, like man. Yeah. Well, five games it is then. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, thanks again for listening to Pound the Rock. As always, support the show uh, by rating, reviewing, subscribing. And uh, thanks to Joseph Cacharo and thanks to Joe Wolfon. And we'll be back next week to recap uh, the first two games. 